we went a little more uh, basic tonight because uh, all the rain, we didn't want to get all the sound equipment all wet. Well, there you go. Not that I'm not loud enough already for you, but that's the way it's official. Um, but good thing we have talented people, so it works out. <coughs> um, you know, it's funny when uh, when Victor was praying. Um, I was thinking about a couple of uh, days ago. I guess maybe it was a week or two ago. Um, how it's important to to not mumble when you pray. Not that he was, but I was just thinking about that because. Um, <laughs> My, my daughter, Corey, who's two years old, she, she fell and hurt herself the other day, and, um, and she was crying, and so uh, one of the things that helps her, you know, get not cry is I'll, I'll say, oh, you want me, you want me pray for her? Yeah, I'll come and pray for her, and so, so she came and <laughs> sat in my lap, and, and, uh, and I was trying to, like, whisper quietly in her ear because I didn't want to embarrass her, and I was like, you know, God, um, please heal her and help her feel better, but I guess I kind of, like, was saying it too quietly and mumbling myself, and she looks up at me with these, like, Tearful Eyes goes, don't pray that God will kill me. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, heal, heal you, not, not kill you. I was like, wow, like, what a terrible thought. That, Dad, did you really just pray that God will kill me? And it's like, no, heal, heal you. Please, God, no. See, the good thing is God understands our mumble prayers, even if, uh, even if our kids don't. So that could have been really bad. Um, well, uh, on that, let me pray real quick, and then we'll jump in. So, <clears throat> uh, Father, thank you so much. Um, I'm really excited just about this uh, this upcoming series that we're going to be diving into, and um, it's so fun just to be reminded of the the real hope that we have in you and, and the the new life that comes, um, not just in eternity, but right now. And so, uh, thank you so much for that. I pray that you would really um, just help me be able to articulate some of that here tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so we're going to be uh, starting tonight a, a brand new series uh, called Resurrection Life. And you know, as as like as a as a speaker, like when when you're like preparing the message and you're a little too close to it, um, like everything needs to be like symbolic, at least in my mind. And so I was like trying to figure out for a long time, like, what's the most resurrection life looking font possible and like this looked the most resurrected to me and so that's why um, that may mean nothing to you but I was pretty impressed by it so um, so there you go and so in this series we're going to be uh, we're going to be camping in uh, the book of Colossians primarily in uh, in the third chapter of Colossians and we're really going to look at okay what does uh for those that have decided to follow Jesus, or if you're still concerned, what does this new life in Christ look like? And what does it look like very practically in everyday life? And so, um, to begin, I'll give you a little bit of backdrop of the book of Colossians. So, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians. And before it was a book, it was actually a letter. Um, Paul wrote this letter to a bunch of the Christians in this uh, town of, called Colossae, uh, back in around AD 60 or AD 61, and um, and Colossae was kind of basically where where modern day Turkey would be, and uh, he was in prison while he wrote this letter. But the reason he wrote it is because there was these false teachers that were coming in to uh, the church there in Colossae, and they were beginning to spread these these ideas where they're combining uh, biblical truth with this this false teaching about um, and and just adding in other religions and other philosophies where they're coming up basically with this heresy of this idea 
that, um, you know, there's a secret knowledge basically that you need on top of the stuff you heard, you know, from, from Epaphras and these other Christians that came and shared the gospel with you. And actually, Jesus, you know, he, he may not be all he's cracked up to. He may not actually be, you know, God and the Savior. And so they're, they're spreading this stuff. And so in response to that, even though Paul is in prison himself and probably has other things to worry about, he decides, I'm going to write this letter to this church in, in Colossae because I want to combat these false things they're hearing. So they, they, they really realize that what they heard from us was actually accurate. Um, and so the central verse, really, the kind of the, the key idea in the book of Colossians is right here before we get to chapter 3. It's in Colossians 2, uh, 6 and 7. And it says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Well, uh, how, did you, how did we receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Well, the answer to that is, you know, you look over in Ephesians 2.8.9, which Paul also wrote, by grace through faith. And so, how do we live in him, which he says there in verse 6? By grace through faith. Um, see, <clears throat> we, uh, then in the rest of this chapter, what Paul does is he begins to highlight uh, that the different things that these false teachers were doing to try to get the Colossians to not live by grace through faith in their everyday life. Um, things that Paul says in the end of the chapter, things that you know, have the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion. These things that, uh, they seem pretty you know, intellectually uh, appeasing. I, I think this must be true, but, but he's saying, no, this actually, this stuff has the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, um, but it, it does nothing to keep you guys from going back to your old ways of living, to just living out of your sinful nature like you always were doing before you came to Christ. And, and that's important because, honestly, that stuff still goes on today. There's tons of, um, you know, self-help and all these, these religions and like Jesus and or Jesus, you know, add in a little bit of, you know, Oprah, add in a little bit of this and that, and then you've got Christianity or at least your version of it and stuff. And, um, and so this is important for us because some of these same kind of ideas are circulating even today. Um, and then in chapter 3, which is where we're going to be focusing on the rest of this series and kind of camping on. Paul, after beginning to address some of the false teachings, he begins to lay out what does this new life in Christ actually look like? Um, and he starts off big picture like Paul normally does, and then he begins to get in specific examples um, and begins to lay the groundwork for what does this new life, what does this resurrection life actually look like? So tonight, we're going to be camping uh, in the first four verses of this chapter, um, which will really kind of lay the groundwork for the rest of uh, the chapter as well as the series. And in these first four verses, Paul, uh, he lays out three really foundational shifts that really take place for those that have decided to follow Jesus. Th- three things that are going to change the way you begin to live. And so um, we're going to look at those. We're going to look at the passage and we're going to look at those foundational shifts and begin to break those down. So <clears throat> Colossians 3, 1 through 4, it should be up there with you on the screen. It says, since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the three foundational shifts that really take place here are 
a change in the, our motivation in life, a change in our actions and pursuits in life, and then a change in our hope. So the first one we looked at there is motivation. <clears throat> now, if you notice in this passage, if you go to the next slide there, um, the red's not doesn't show up quite as well on that screen there, but uh, um, it did on my computer. Now, in the middle of this passage, <clears throat> they're sandwiched in between. Um, there are the, there are com- some commands there, but on either side of the commands that Paul gives in that passage, you have uh, some not commands, but you have indicatives really of uh, what who we are as followers of Christ and what has happened to us. Um, as we've decided to follow him. And these are simple statements, but can really be easily overlooked um, if you're just doing a casual reading of the text. And so I want us to pause and look at these because this is going to be important for the motivation because they really do have a profound impact on the way we live as Christians uh, and the way we do life. And so the first indicative statement there is in verse 3. It says, we've died with Christ. We've died with Christ. Now, to expand on that, I want us to look at a verse, Romans 6, verse 6 and 7. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So this indicative statement that we've died with Christ, what that really means in part is he's saying, uh, you know what? You're dead to sin. You're free from sin. You know, you don't have to sin anymore. Now, for those of us that are Christians, or for those of us that know Christians, you go, I've I've seen Christians sin. And it's like, yeah, we can sin. Uh, And a lot of Christians actually choose to do that, unfortunately. But, see, when we've died with Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin. See, before, you you, you were a slave to that. You didn't really have an option. You were going to give in eventually. But see, as Christians, we actually have that chain's been broken. We have the opportunity to choose to not sin because we've died with Christ. And so this is part of, you know, who we are as a Christian. This is part of this new life. And then the second indicative statement that Paul says there is in verse 1. He says, so not only have you died with Christ, but you've been raised with Christ. And to expand on that, let's look at Colossians. We'll look at a couple of verses. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, and then... 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it and he nailed it to the cross. And then over in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So basically what's going on here is God, when we've been raised with Christ, God has given us a divine do-over. You know, he's, he's forgiven us our sin, and he's allowed us to have a brand new start with him. And not just in our old way, but a brand new start as a new creation, where we are now connected with God in relationship, and we have his spirit living inside of us. So, you know, there, there are big implications of the fact that we've died with Christ, and now we've been raised with Christ. And then the third indicative statement he says there is not only have we died with Christ and been raised with Christ, but our life is now hidden with Christ in heaven. And that means a couple of things. Um, the first thing that means 
is, if you look at this next verse here in 1 John 3, 1, uh, we become children of God now. Uh, it says, how great is the love of the Father, how great the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And then not only are we children of God, but you look at this next verse, we become citizens of heaven. It says in Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then not only are we citizens of heaven, but then you look at this next one, John 10.20 and 29, we have, because our life is hidden with Christ in God, we have eternal security with God in Christ. We have eternal security. And he says, I give them eternal life. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And my Father has given them to me. And my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. See, when I, I, played, uh, I played basketball growing up. And one of the things that my basketball coaches taught me to do when I'd rebound the ball, he said, you know, when you rebound the ball, don't just rebound with one hand and come down with it. Because people can slap out of your hand really easy. You rebound the ball and you grip the ball you know, with two hands until you look around and figure out where you're going to pass the ball so all the little guards don't come and, you know, snatch it out of your hands and stuff like that. So that's, that's how I rebound the ball. Um, and what this is, verse is saying here is, you know, God the Father and God the Son has a, like, double-handed grip on you. Okay, you know, Jesus has you, and then the Father has his hand over that. It's like, ain't nobody taking you out of that. You know, I mean, that, that's pretty secure, you know. And so um, that's part of what having our life hidden in Christ means now why do these why, why do i even go over these what, what are these indicative statements about who we are uh matter as it relates to you know life and motivation why did paul even include these why didn't he just tell, give the command of what he wanted to do and then move on um, well the reason is these indicative statements have everything to do with our motivation and are incredibly important because christianity unlike other religions, and unlike other philosophies of life, operates out of an imper- indicative, imperative lifestyle. If you go to this next slide here, it operates out of indicative, imperative, where other religions operate out of imperative, indicative. In other words, our motive for living the way we do as Christians comes out of what Christ has done for us, and therefore who we are in Christ, rather than what we hope to become. See, religions are about, hey, if you do X, Y, and Z, if you do this, if you do enough of this, and you stop doing that, then this can be true of you. You know, if you do these imperatives, if you do these commands, then this can be indicative of you. This can be who you are. But no, Christianity flips it on its head and says, no, actually, it's who you are, what's indicative of you that leads to what you should do. See, the beauty and uniqueness of the Christian life is we are not motivated primarily by what we might become, but we're motivated by who we have been declared to be. And out of that, we live a certain way. It's the difference really between being part of a family and being part of a sports team. See, I played sports growing up, and uh, when I was younger, I played baseball, and then when I got into high school, I... um, I kind of got bored of that, and so I went into football and basketball and volleyball and stuff. But um, I was also a part of a family of six, uh, most of which you guys know, the Walker family, uh, during that time. 
and still am a part of that family, by the way. Um, now, both my family uh, and my sports teams, I had certain responsibilities. Um, but my motivation for handling those responsibilities played out very, very differently. See, in my family, I never um, wondered if I was going to make the cut. You know, I never wondered if I was going to be kicked out of my family if I didn't perform a certain way. Now, I mean, there were times that my siblings did threaten to kill me, but that's for different reasons altogether. Um, see, but I was motivated to live the way I live because I was a walker, not because I hoped to one day be a walker. <clears throat> now, if you can believe it, there are actually even times that I didn't always act in line with the family values. Um, I know. <laughs> you're thinking, hey, quiet down back there. Um, you're thinking, that guy, he's next to perfect. Um, uh, and, there, and there were times I didn't always handle the responsibilities that came with being a part of the Walker family. <clears throat> but when I acted out of line, what was done, and sometimes painfully, is I was reminded, hey, you don't, that is not what walkers do. You are a walker, and that is not what walkers do. But I was still part of the family. You know? and, there, and there was incredible security and love and comfort being motivated, motivated by the fact that I was part of this family and I wasn't trying to impress or to earn a spot in the family. Um, but you see, with my sports teams, that's the opposite. Um, I was motivated out of a need to prove that I was good enough to make the team, and then once I got on the team, I was motivated out of trying to prove that I was good enough to stay on the team. And, you know, my coaches made it all too clear, there is no such thing as a sacred starting spot. You know, no one has a secure spot. Every single week, you are competing, to whether you're going to ride the bench or whether you're going to be in the game, or even on the team, much less. And so, you know, I love sports, but sports is... It's all about, and for those of you that play, it's all about what have you done for me lately? You know, it is, there is no, like, you were on this team forever kind of thing. Um, but in my family, you know, I was motivated by the fact that I was part of the family. With sports, I was motivated just like, I need to perform so that I even had the ability to even wear the jersey. So, <clears throat> back to these verses that we're talking about. What Paul is saying here to these Christian Colossians and to you and me if you've decided to follow Jesus, is not, hey, you know what? There are things you have to do to become a child of God and to be declared righteous. Um, but instead, what he's saying is, since you have already entrusted yourself to Jesus, you have become a follower of Christ. And since you have died then to sin and have been declared righteous and given new life, and since you are a child of God, and since you are a citizen of, hev a citizen of heaven, therefore... This is how you should live. And then he goes into what he has to say there. So motivation, that, this is the first big foundational shift that takes place, you know, because we live as Christians indicative imperative lives, not imperative indicative lives. So the second big foundational shift in this resurrection life is our actions and our pursuits. Now, as a result of those indicatives that... Um, I just talked about earlier, not only does our motivation for living change, but so does our actions and our pursuits. So let's look at our passage again tonight, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. It says, Since then, 
you have been raised with Christ. And here comes the imperatives. Um, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what Paul is saying here is, because you've died, and because you've been raised with Christ, and because your life is now hidden with Christ in God, it only makes sense that you set your minds on the things above in heaven, where Christ is, and where your life is. Because you've died to the things of earth. See, when we became Christians, we also became citizens of heaven, like we talked about earlier. And it says, if when you became a Christian, you got a brand new passport, and it said, citizen of heaven on there. But see, what actually also took place is when you got that new passport, you know what passport got torn up? Your citizen of earth passport, you know, because there is no such thing as dual citizenship. You can't be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of earth. You're one or the other. That's why the Bible constantly refers to Christians as aliens on this earth. We live on this earth, but we aren't citizens of this earth. But actually, even more than that, we're not just citizens of heaven living on earth. As Christians, we are already living in God's kingdom now. It's just invisible. Uh, Colossians 1, 13-14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, those verses are not talking about what will happen one day to us as Christians, but it's talking about what has already happened to us as Christians. We are living in a different kingdom now, with different citizenship, and while that kingdom is currently invisible, it's very real, and one day it will be not only manifested spiritually, but physically as well. So, out of who we now are and where we are now living, we set our hearts and our minds on pursuing the things above in heaven, not the things below on earth. Now, the next question to consider then is, because this is something I thought about when I read this passage, is, well, what does that even look like? You know, what does setting our minds on the things of heaven look like? Does that... Does that mean we just stare at the sky all day and think nice thoughts? You know, does that mean that we, you know, go live out as a hermit in the middle of the desert to avoid being tainted by all these sinners? You know, and people that do not treasure the things that we treasure. You know, or does that mean we just can't enjoy movies, can't enjoy good food, can't enjoy music? You need to just sit in silence and eat bread and fish like the disciples did. Because that's probably what they did, right? No, I don't think that's what it means at all. Um, So what does that look like? Well, in order to set our hearts and our minds on the things of heaven, I think we have to know a little bit about what's going on in heaven. Um, Now, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about heaven, but we do know that in heaven, the kingdom of God has fully manifested itself, which means God is fully reigning and he's fully ruling in the hearts of people up in heaven. So, if in heaven God the Father is sitting on the throne as the ruler and Jesus Christ is sitting at his right hand, you can imagine 
that to seek out the things of heaven would probably mean to seek after doing life in a way that would really please the king. Because after all, we are his children now, and we're also citizens in his kingdom, right? So, Jesus, when he was here on earth, he basically summed up what living as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven looks like in two things. Loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving people. In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, when asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus replied, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That, does that sound familiar, by the way? You know, Set your heart and your mind on things above. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, all your soul. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So to set our hearts and our minds on things above and not on the things of earth means we pursue with vigilance character qualities that will help us learn to love God and to love people better. And we choose to put to death and flee from the things that will keep us from loving God and from loving people. Now, if you're wondering, well, what are some of those things? What, what are some of those things that we are supposed to, you know, characters we're supposed to pursue and things we're supposed to put off? That's why you should come back for the rest of the series. See, we're going to talk about that in the week, weeks to come. So, there's my plug. Um, but I can tell you that one of the reasons God makes sure, made sure to highlight things in Jesus' life and make sure those were recorded along with the rest of the New Testament writings is so that we would have concrete examples of what loving God and loving people looks like and how to actually begin to do that. Because, see, it's easy to say and to grasp and to wrap our minds around, oh, yeah, okay, love God, love people, I can, okay, two things, I can handle that. But it's a lot harder to actually learn to live out daily, you know. That's why this can't be a casual endeavor. Paul didn't say, when you get around to it, Maybe give a thought to it. You know, he said, set your mind and your heart. You know, pursue it. Make that be your, your, what you build your life around. Um, we have to actively pursue it. And we need, God's, we need God's grace to do it. But we do this not to earn our citizenship in heaven, but we do it because we already are citizens of heaven. Because that's what heavenly, what's what heavenly citizens live like. Now, before we move on to the last foundational shift, <clears throat> I just want to say one more thing about, uh, you know, this second thing of, of actions and pursuits. Um, not all people who uh, claim to be Christians um, are really living this out, you know, much, in case you haven't noticed, you know, probably many of us have seen that daily. Some of us are probably not even doing that ourselves. Um, but, Christians are the only ones who have the ability to do this. <clears throat> As Christians, our identity and our value and our destination are already settled, so we are freed up to focus on loving God and loving people out of a motivation of real love and out of a motivation of real gratitude because we are not focused on trying to earn our way into some place or into some group or trying to impress anybody that's already been settled you know and 
in doing that, that's actually just selfish motives anyway. We're, but we're freed up to actually be motivated out of love, not out of selfishness. We also don't have to be a slave to our sinful desires anymore because we've died to those. So I want to just encourage you guys and exhort both you and me that as Christians, we ought to pursue these things. You know, we, we can do this and we should do this and that's who we are. It's not like, hey, but that's just not who I am. No, that is who you are. <laughs> you know, if you're a Christian, that is who you are and you have the ability and the motivation and that is what a Christian does. Um, now we come to our last foundational shift and that's in the resurrection life and that's a shift in our hope. A shift in our hope. Now let's look back one more time at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. See, we've gone through enough time. Maybe you haven't memorized by the end of this. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And here we get into the hope. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, as children of God and as citizens of heaven, our hope is no longer in our major and the career that will come out of our major. Our hope is no longer in our bank account and the financial security and the vacations and the entertainment that it will hopefully bring one day. Our hope is no longer in our looks. And as you get older, you'll be grateful that your hope is no longer in your looks. I had hopes one day of being good looking. I just, you know, I've gotten past that now. Um, and tanning, too. All my family can get tan. I stay pasty white. What? Oh, yeah. I won't, I won't go into it. I, I could tell you stories of my insecurity someday. But, um, you know, our hope is no longer in whether we become famous or powerful or whether we're married or whether we're single or any of that, our hope is in Jesus Christ and the fact that our lives, the moment we chose to place our trust in Jesus, our lives became forever connected with him forever, on into eternity, into the future. And one day when Jesus comes back in all of his glory, like this verse talks about, he's going to wrap up history and he's going to complete what he already started in choosing to reconcile and rescue as many people as possible to himself. And when he does that, we will be standing there on that stage and get to appear with him in glory. And this hope, which exists with Jesus in heaven, has some major implications for our life now. And I, and I want to give us, in, in closing, I want to give us three Three major implications of what this hope, this new hope that we have, what, what are some implications for it? One, we have hope that our lives will have significance and purpose and meaning to them, whether or not you're ever considered a big deal in this life. And the reason for that is because in the midst of work and in the midst of family and in the midst of uh, meals and, and fun and all those things that we're doing, we will be giving our lives to pursuing the only two things that actually last forever, which are God and the souls of people. And while none of us will ever be the star of the show, because 
Only God gets that, unfortunately. Now, because, and while none of us will ever be the star of the show, we will actually be able to have our lives count for something significant as we choose to play the role that God gives us in carrying out what he's doing here on earth and reconciling as many people as possible to himself. So that's one major implication of this new hope. A second major implication of this new hope is when we experience physical or emotional pain in this life, which I know a lot of you guys are you know, only in your teens and early 20s, but a lot of you guys have experienced some pain, and you will experience more pain. You know, There's no doubt about that. Um, but even when we do experience physical or emotional pain in this relatively short life, <clears throat> we can have hope that, you know, it won't be anything compared to the life that God has in store for us in heaven for all of eternity. See, Paul, um, who wrote Colossians, who also wrote the book of Romans, um, he had an impressive life. He also had a pretty painful life, if you've ever read much about his life. I mean, I uh, admire Paul. I do not want to be Paul. Um, I do not want to go through the things he went through. But yet, even so, he was able to write in Romans 8.18 right here, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we will be revealed in us. So what Paul is saying, Paul is not belittling uh, what he or other people went through. He's just putting it in proper perspective. He's saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been throwing jobs. All these things. But, I mean, Compared to what's coming, man, that's nothing. That's nothing. Um, so with this new hope, thankfully, we do not have to live with the life motto of, hey, cheer up, it gets worse. You know, I mean, like, we actually can live with a hope that, you know what, we may experience some tough things in this life, but the majority of our existence, which, by the way, eternity is just a little bit longer than this life, just a little bit. Um, eternity is going to be amazing compared to what we experience here on this earth. And not that this earth's going to be bad, but eternity's going to be even better. And then the third and uh, final implication, <clears throat> there's probably more, but I came up with three. The third major implication for this new hope is we can and we should have proper expectations for this life. We can and we should have proper expectations for this life. See, we can enjoy this life and experience real blessing and purpose and fun. And, I mean, lots of fun. There's, you know, following God is anything but boring. You know, it may not be always easy, but it's definitely not boring. Um, but as we walk with God, we can really experience this. But we also have proper expectations for this life. See, a lot of people, when they're thinking, hey, you know, this life's pretty good, but is this all there is, you know? Some of you guys maybe have thought that before. Is this all there is? Well, see, as Christians, we have an answer to that. No, this isn't all there is. You know, there's a lot more than this. And so we know our time on earth isn't all there is to life. So we have hope, you know. And you know what? You ought to share that hope with other people, by the way. If you know that, tell people. Um, so we can enjoy this life for what it is because God has good things in store in this life. Not just in eternity. He has good things in store in this life for us. But... We know that life will one day be even better. And this life, while it's good, it's just a taste of what is to come down the road in heaven. So with this new hope, we have realistic expectations of what this life will bring. We don't, we're not trying to squeeze things out of this life that 
we'll just be bummed out about because this life was never meant to give. Um, it's kind of the difference between downtown Disney and Disneyland. Have you guys ever been to, like, I know, right? Have you, have you guys ever been to downtown Disney before? Yeah, some of you guys. Have you been to Disneyland? Yes, hopefully even more. There you go. Um, you know, back or at the beginning of this semester, <clears throat> um, I got to take uh, my, my wife and, and uh, daughter and son there. Um, Corey, uh, Corey was so excited. I mean, she's two, she's coming on three, and princesses are everything to her right now. And so um, Katie's mom had bought us two uh, Christmas, um, had bought us two tickets to Disneyland for Christmas. And so Disneyland is stinking expensive. And so we thought, hey, we're going to live this up. Um, kids need to take naps. So what we're going to do is we're going to book a hotel down there the night before so we can get in there right when it opens, literally right when it opens, and stay there until it ends. They kick us out. And, uh, and so that's what we did. And then we left in the middle of the day for naps at the hotel is great but since we got down there the night before you know we decided well, hey, well let's go eat dinner at downtown disney and walk around and you know look at uh the live music and there's just there's a lot of fun things to do in downtown disney but it's not disneyland you know and uh but for my daughter like since she had never been and the whole time we're at down disney like we're in disneyland we're in disneyland i'm like no what we're in down we're going to disneyland tomorrow tonight you know and she, no disneyland dad okay okay Disneyland. But you know what? I mean, it's not a big deal. She thought it was Disneyland. But, but I was just thinking, I was like, man, if she is this excited about downtown Disney, just wait until tomorrow, you know? And, so, and sure enough, she was just as ex more excited for Disneyland. I mean, Disneyland was like, whoa, downtown Disney, that's nothing. You know, Disneyland, you know, that's where the princesses live. You know, that's, <laughs> that's where you get to see Ariel and Cinderella and the, and the whole crew. Um, and that's kind of like this life, you know, proper expectations. I mean, this life's going to be good, but it's downtown Disney, guys. You know, it ain't Disneyland, you know. And so as we walk with God and as we, real, we realize that, hey, there's going to be good in store in this life, but, man, the best is yet to come. And so we live for that, and our hope is set on what will be, not just what is, although what is is going to be good, but it's not going to be as good as what will be one day. Um, so... These are the three major shifts that take place when you have decided to follow Jesus and experience this new resurrection life. And those shifts are, bummer, I put them up there. I was going to agree. Motivation, <laughs> actions and pursuits. I'm just too quick. You know, I've already made a slide for it. Um, and our hope. So that is going to kind of set the, the tone for, okay, now if, if that there's some big shifts. What does then practically this life look like in everyday, you know, relationships and circumstances? And that's what we're going to talk about the rest of this series. So I hope you come back and hear that series. So let me pray for us, and then we will invite Victor back up. <laughs> to, uh, I thought about leading you guys in a special song, but <clears throat> I would never be invited here again. So, um, so I'll just pray. Father, thank you so much for... Um, the fact that we really have a completely different motivation for a living, um, that we have a completely different uh, pursuits in life, things much more exciting and much more valuable than what we're living for now. And God, our hope is very, very different, much more secure and, um, and just set on a completely different 
place and a different person wrapped up with your son Jesus in heaven. And so, God, would we, as followers of you, begin to live out of the reality of that? Um, And for those of us that have yet to decide to follow you, would we uh, consider that, that what this new life will look like if we choose to begin to follow you? So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.